baptisms each morning. And uh, one night service, so we heard three different speakers each day, 15 sessions total. And God did some awesome stuff. God did some powerful stuff. Amen. And um, I've thought about it all week long, and even at the conclusion of the week, uh, just been meditating over things that were said, meditating over what God did um, in in our lives individually and, and how it connects to the church. Uh, we had several prophecies spoken over us as a church. And um, I'm telling you, you got to get ready. You got to get ready. I, I can tell you about everything that God wants to do this year, but if you're not ready, it's not going to happen. It's just bottom line. Um, and, and this is what God does. If you're not ready, he'll find someone else to do it. But I don't want him to find someone else to do what he's called me to do. Amen. I just want to be obedient to what God has said. And um, so, so much happened this week. So many words. I'll give you the theme and the basis because where I'm going to go today is I'm going to try to give you in a nutshell uh, what took place, words that were spoken, things that happened. Um, and I'm going to pull the, the core verses of where this week's message came from. And we're going to look at how it applies to what we're doing here. But the core of the ministry that took place was around demonstrations of the Holy Spirit. Demonstrations of the Holy Spirit. And most of you should know this by now. Um, You know, we don't really talk a whole lot about uh, denominationally, you know, who we are, doctrinally, what we believe. Because to be honest with you, we just believe the Bible. We just believe the Bible. Um, and, and In fact, we... If you had to put a label on it, we call ourselves non-denominational. Non-denominational. What does that mean? What what does a a denomination even mean? A denomination is formed when you look at the Bible and pull a belief from it. Okay? So we've got multiple denominations. We're just going to get real this morning. We've got Baptists. We've got Methodists. We've got Pentecostal. We've got Presbyterian. Okay? All love Jesus. All love God, but there are truths from the word that maybe we don't all agree upon. There are truths from the word that we look at differently, and and so we discount different things. A non-denominational is one that just believes the Bible for what it says. And I'm not here to discount any of it. I'm not here to pull back and say, well, we pick and choose, because honestly, I'm Baptist. Put it point blank. I'm Baptist. Why? Because I believe in the salvation, making Jesus the Lord of your life, confessing to him that you are a sinner, but that he has done something and paid a price to save you from sin, not from hell, the result of sin, but from sin itself and to give me new life so I can now empower the world that I live in for the kingdom of God. I'm Pentecostal. Because I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, not just coming on me at salvation, but filling me and giving me the power and equipping me with the power to demonstrate the kingdom of God. With the evidence of speaking in other tongues. I'm Pentecostal. I'm Methodist because I believe in the method and the methods and the rituals and the traditions that are laid out in the word of God. Water baptism. Being baptized and, and, and naturally expressing my faith, confessing and professing my faith and the, and the identification of the old man has died. The new man is risen with Jesus Christ. 
I believe in the methods and the, the tradition of communion. And what that means, that I, am, that I am partaking of the Lord's flesh and drinking of His blood as the remission of sins, His blood that covers me. That now when Jesus, that now when God looks at me, He doesn't look at me as the sinner that I was, but through the blood of Jesus, the price that was paid. So, I mean, if you had to label it, I'm, I'm all of it. Amen? But there's things I, I don't stop. I don't stop there. I don't stop with the salvation of Jesus as Lord. I know that there is an empowering that can come on me through the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. So I don't limit myself. We're the only ones that limit God. God never limits you. God has given to you all the resources that he wants you to have. Romans tells us that he is not a respecter of persons. Well, you know, some of that stuff died off with the 12 disciples. Then he would be a respecter of persons. Why would he give the 12 apostles something that nobody else could have? Amen. But I just I just dare to believe God at his word. I just dare to believe God at his word. So the 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 bulk of last week's services were all centered around no matter what the minister was specifically talking about it all had to do with demonstrating the power of the kingdom doing pastor Daryl Huffman said this in the very first session on Monday morning the very first one kicked it off that the kingdom is not something you talk about the kingdom is something you do and see that's where that's what we've lost the church as a whole. We've lost the doing. And we say a lot of things. And, and, and the doing is tied to believing. He said this, uh, pa- Pastor Darrell, he's been in, in ministry over 30 years. And he said this, you know, back in the 70s, uh, you know, people believed the right thing, but weren't confessing the right thing. They weren't saying something that was connected with what they believed in their heart. And we know that our confession is directly tied to what we see in our life. You get what you say, period. Mark chapter 11, you can have whatsoever he says. And if he believes in his heart and does not doubt, he will have whatever he says. You can speak to this mountain and it will be removed and be cast into the sea. So they were missing the confession part. And so what we believed in our heart, we weren't saying. We believed that we were healed, but we were still speaking sickness over our bodies. But he said it's, it's changed now. The church has gotten really good at talking a good talk, but doesn't really believe what they're saying. And until you believe what you're saying, you won't see what you're saying. You won't do it. You won't demonstrate it. Why? Because Mark chapter 16, verse 15 tells us that these signs will follow those who believe, not say. It doesn't say signs will follow those who say something. It says signs will follow those who believe something. And that's why we are believers. Believers, not talkers. 
So right out the gate, we got a swift kick in the pants. <laughs> in first service, Monday morning, 9 a.m. If you're not believing it, you'll never see it. If you don't believe it, you'll never do it. If you don't believe it, you'll never demonstrate the kingdom of God. But his word tells us that the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but in righteousness and joy in the Holy Ghost, in power. There are demonstrations that should be associated with the kingdom of God. What is demonstrations? You'll raise the sick, raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons. The church is more afraid of demons today than they are bold enough to go up and cast one out. I mean, we, we deal with sickness like the world deals with sickness. We deal with lack and poverty like the world deals with lack and poverty. And this cannot be. The church is called to be powerful, not powerless. The church is called to be limitless, not limited. And, and then we, we heard about being led by the Spirit. We heard about uh, 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 learning to serve people. The kingdom is in service. Now, I heard a minister just last week uh, talking about, um, and this, was, this wasn't at full force, this was something else that I was listening to, and he said, most people look at king and servant as opposites. A king and a servant. But Jesus came as a king and then said this, I haven't come to be served, I've come to serve. If we don't learn how to serve people and help them win instead of trying to help ourselves win, you'll never do anything great for the kingdom of God. The greatest one is the king in the kingdom is the one that can serve others. Learn to love people. If you can't love people, you'll never do anything great for the kingdom of God. The reason why you're here is to serve people. Not make a lot of money, buy a nice house, have a bunch of kids, get a, get a dog, drive a nice car, and retire early. That's not why you're here. You're here to be an influence on other people. You've been sent by God to this earth. That's why we sing songs like heaven to earth, not earth to heaven. Most Christians just have an earth to heaven mindset. I'm living here, but one day I'm going there. We used to sing a song growing up. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. I'm a king now. I don't need to go see the king. I am a king. He made me royalty. I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 17 says that I have been made to reign in life through Jesus Christ. Not reign in heaven, reign in this life. Right now. And so we learn that we've got to help others win. We've got to serve others. Amen. We learned that if we're not in unity as a church, we'll be dysfunctional in the world. Why? Because we have churches that just have so much griping and complaining and bickering and, and division and dissension. People sowing seeds of discord within the church. But Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, may they be in unity as you and I. How many of you think Jesus and the Father are in unity? They're on the same page. Amen. 
We have the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're all working in unison, not against each other. I'm just going to get over here in the corner. I'll do my thing. Jesus, you do your thing. Holy Spirit, you do whatever you want. Doesn't work that way. But all three are working as one. And then Jesus prayed, may the church be in unity. May they be one as you and I are one. I love how Jesus qualifies things. He didn't just say, may they be one. Because then you know what? That leaves it open for discussion. Well, what does one look like? But he said, may they be one as you and I. And that's where Pastor Earl came in and says, we need to get the spirit of as, A-S. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as that qualifies it. Not just may your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth. He didn't stop right there. There's not a period. There's a word after that. A-S, as. As where? It is in heaven. Let your kingdom come. Come to this earth. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we learned that our goal in life is to bring heaven to earth. That's my purpose. That's my destiny. The job that I work at, the family that I'm over, the husband or the wife that I'm tied to, the sphere of influence, the friends that I have. I'm supposed to be bringing the kingdom there. Let his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is there sickness in heaven? No. Then there shouldn't be sickness with us. Is there lack in heaven? No. So there shouldn't be lack with us. Is there depression in heaven? No. So there shouldn't be depression with us. And what's awesome is God has given us resources to healing, to provision, to prosperity, to joy, to peace. Not fear and anxiety. He's given us access to everything that uh, is against what the world tries to bring. And so instead of being affected by the world, we can influence the world with the kingdom of heaven. We learn to be influencers. We learned that Jesus was always about empowering others. And this is where I want to go this morning, because until we realize that we have been empowered, we'll walk around weak. Until we understand that we have been empowered. Today, I want to help us identify who we are as a church. And and, and we've been doing this, if you haven't noticed, up to last week, we've been talking about God's nature. We've been talking about our nature. I know you are. I know who you are, but who am I? What am I? Right? Remember that small little series? We talked about extraordinary. I'm ordinary, but he's extraordinary. And he adds his extra to my ordinary. So an ordinary person can do extraordinary things. God's not waiting for you to become extraordinary. He wants to make you extraordinary when you give yourself to his purpose. And so we've been looking at these things, but I want to help tie it all together. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went about 
all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the what? Kingdom. See, it's the gospel of Jesus, not the gospel about Jesus. We've been preaching the gospel about Jesus. We've been preaching Jesus. And I'm not here to say that the gospel uh, about Jesus is wrong, but we actually need to be preaching what Jesus preached. And what did Jesus preach? The gospel of the kingdom. Jesus actually was trying to become, he spent his entire life and his, his entire ministry trying to become transparent and just point you to the kingdom, not to himself. That's why he would always say things like, I don't do anything on my own initiative. I only do that which the Father tells me to do. I go where he tells me to go. I do what he tells me to do. I say what he tells me to say. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, he won't speak on his own initiative. He's only going to remind you what I've been saying. And he's only going to speak what the Father is telling him. So Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. This fall, this September will mark three years for us. Five years as a whole. Pastor Brian and Cheyenne came here and they planted. Pastor Mark and Ashley have shown up and now we are watering. But it is God who gives the increase. First Corinthians chapter three. Not about Pastor Brian. It's not about Pastor Mark. It's not about who was here before and who was here after. Did we go through transition? Yes, we went through transition. We didn't get stuck in transition. We didn't stop at transition. We went through it. And now we're here igniting the city, impacting the nation, influencing the world. Why? Because we have been teaching. Jesus didn't just show up and start doing all kinds of miracles. We think about Jesus as a miracle worker. But he went about all the cities and all the villages teaching. Jesus taught. Why? Because unless you know how to do something, watching something will not help you. You can watch a workout video all you want. You won't lose any weight. You won't get any stronger. But then when you're taught how to do what you're seeing happening, now you can get up and do the very thing. Amen. So he went about teaching. Then he went about preaching. And what is preaching? Preaching is proclaiming. Preaching is inspiring people. I put it this way. Preaching is inspirational. Teaching is instructional. Preaching inspires people to get up and go do something. Teaching tells them how to do it. And we teach at this church. You ever been here on a Wednesday night? We teach. We teach. Because people need to know how. Teaching in the cities, uh, in the villages, the cities. Preaching the gospel kingdom. Then what? And healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So he's teaching, instructing, preaching, Inspiring people to understand this kingdom that he comes from. And then demonstrating. 
doing. But now look at the very next verse. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. This bothers me because he just got done teaching. He just got done preaching and he just got done demonstrating. And the people are still scattered. I mean, it would be one thing if, if this was the other way around. He saw the multitudes move with compassion because they were scattered like sheep without a shepherd. So he went teaching and uh, preaching and healing and demonstrating. And then they were all good. But it doesn't say that. He did all those things and then realized they're still lost. Even after all the teaching, even after all the preaching, even after all the demonstrating, they are like sheep without a shepherd. Why? Because there was something missing called church. Church. And this is why we are here. Because look at the next verse. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful. But the laborers are few. They're scattered like sheep without a shepherd. The next line. Then he said to his disciples. He didn't try to do it all by himself. Even Jesus did not try to do it all by himself. The people I've been teaching, I've been preaching, I've been demonstrating, I've been doing, I've been healing. And they're still scattered like sheep without a shepherd. They don't have anybody to lead them. They don't have anybody to guide them. So you know what? I'm going to stay here in the earth for as long as possible so I can help guide these people. Nope. He said, I'm going to get out of here as fast as possible so I can empower more people to lead and to guide them and help direct them in their purpose in life. Why was Jesus here? Why did he only minister for three and a half years? I've almost been here three years. That's just about as long as Jesus was on this planet doing ministry. I'm 30. This is when he started. That means in three years he died. He was put to death at 33. That's a very short time span. In fact, that's only a quarter of the life that you're promised. You're promised 120 years. 30 years, you're just getting started. 60 years, you're just getting started. 90, you still have another 30 years to go. And 120, you can get all the way there. Jesus is is not very far along in life. He didn't, you know, make it to 50. He didn't make it to 60. He didn't make it to 80. All those people in the Old Testament that are living like, you know, however long. And Jesus is put to death at 33. Why? I'm just here to equip and empower other people to get out and do what I did for three years. Three years was long enough. 
for him to demonstrate what the kingdom of God looks like and how to do it and how to be a light in darkness. That was all he needed was three and a half years. In fact, it was really just three years because the last six months of his life, he was out hiding out until the time came. He's just waiting it out now. He's going into towns like Bethany. Because he knows if I go back into Jerusalem, they're going to kill me and it's not my time yet. So the last six months, and then, you know, he, he gets a phone call from Mary and Martha. Hey, your friend's dead. You've got to come over here. So he gets up and leaves. This is all in the last six months of his life. The other reason why is you go around talking about what he talked about uh, and, and you're not going to last long. Because he's preaching a kingdom and people wanted to get rid of him. Not because he was doing a bunch of miracles, signs and wonders. You ever think about that? He's so nice to people. Why would they want to kill him? Because he was talking about being a king and raising up a kingdom. And all he did was, all he ever did was just good stuff for people. Why would they want to get rid of him? These are questions you've got to ask yourself. Because the answers are in our purpose. The answers help reveal who we are, what we're supposed to be doing. And so he says to his disciples, they're scattered like sheep. They have no guidance and no direction. They need people to lead them. And God, they need a shepherd. Well, what is the pastor called? A shepherd. You know, and I'm a little biased because I'm a pastor. But, you know, I believe that the pastoral gift of the five gifts, the, the, the pastor, teacher, prophet, apostle, and evangelist, I believe the pastor is the most necessary of the five. Because that's what Jesus was. Jesus was a picture of what the pastor is supposed to look like. And pastors are not people that just get up and preach good messages on Sundays and do little Bible studies on Wednesdays and visit you in the hospital right before you're about to die and come see your babies when they're born. That's not what a pastor is. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that all five of the ministry gifts are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Heard the most powerful picture of what the five-fold ministry is supposed to look like this past week. Apostle Lafayette Scales from Columbus, Ohio, 64 years old, been in ministry, uh, I think he said 32 years. And he was at a basketball game, and God showed him something. He said, there on the court, you've got five people running up and down the court, doing all the work. And you've got the people in the stands watching the five do all the work. And he said, that's what the church is like. That's what the church is like. So we've got five gifts running up and down the court doing all the work. And we've got the church body sitting back watching the pastors and the evangelists and the teachers do everything. But that's not a picture of the church. We're to be coaching, we're to be instructing, we're to be inspiring you to do the work of service. And I'm going to take it a step further because there is a work of service that you do in the church. But there's a work of service to do out there. 
See, we all want to talk to our friends about Jesus, you know, and, and tell them about our church and say, hey, if, if you want to be born again, you can come with me. And, and, and on Sunday, my pastor, he'll pray over you. I got a greater testimony than getting 15 people down here to the altar and getting them all born again here is if they get born again in the cubicle right next to you. At work. And then you come to church and say, hey, I I got my friends saved and now they're here with me because they want to learn about what this new life is all about. That's the church. That's the church, not a church that we attend, not a church uh, that we uh, say we're members of, but a church that is being the church, a church that is doing something in the earth. So he says that the laborers are few. Look what he says after that. Verse 38. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Most pastors are only concerned with getting people in their church. But he says, pray that we can send people out. The only reason why I want to get more people in here is because I want to have more people to send out there. I don't need seat warmers. Church is not a spectator sport. It's something that you participate in. It's something that you do. It's who you are. In fact, God even gives his church a a, a sex to identify that this is a person. This is not a thing. He says, her. She. She. Even takes it a whole other level and and, and gives it a, a sexual orientation. So now we know that this is a person doing something, being something, representing something. The bride. The bride of Christ. That's who we are. So pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Now, look at the very next verse, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power. He gave them power. And this is what the church is missing today. The power. The power. He gave them power over what? Unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. I thought Jesus was doing all that. But remember, he did all that. Then looked at them and said, they are sheep. Without a shepherd. They're still scattered. So. Turn to my disciples. You pray the Lord of the harvest. Then what does he do? He empowers his disciples to go out and do. The very thing. That he was doing. We just read it. Four verses earlier. 
And now here we are. He's transferring the power and the ability that he had. Jesus did not do the works that he did because he was the son of God. No, the Holy Spirit came down upon him like a dove after he was baptized and came up out of the water and empowered him to do the things that he did. And he didn't do one miracle until he first received the Holy Spirit. Who are we to think we can do anything without receiving the Holy Spirit? If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to do what he did, we need the Holy Spirit to do what we are called to do. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of diseases, all kinds of sickness. Verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, he lists the 12 disciples. Now get down to verse 5. Now he's giving them commands and how to go out. See, we, we don't just go out. See, sometimes people in church, they don't like administration. You know, they don't like being told how to go out and and what to do when you get out there. But Jesus gave direction. He didn't say, you know, they didn't all get in a huddle and say, one, two, three, disciples, go. (laughs) One, two, three, Jesus. And just go out. No, they had a game plan. Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans. Isn't it amazing that he starts off with places not to go? This is why we got to be led by the Spirit. Man, we just want to go out everywhere, man. We just want, let me just get in somebody's face and tell them about Jesus. And he starts off with, do not go here. Do not enter a city of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Remember those sheep I was talking about? They're all scattered. That's where you need to go. And as you go, preach. That doesn't mean take a microphone in a pulpit with you and get on the street corner and set up and then stand behind it and preach. Get you a little sound system. Preach means proclaim. 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 The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, you're going to have to know what the kingdom of heaven is. You're going to talk about it. it. Doesn't say preach about Jesus. No, he says preach about the kingdom of heaven. Is at hand near within your reach. That's what they, the world needs to know. Everything you're looking for is within your reach. It's right there. If you just reach out, you can have it. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. You didn't do anything to get it. They don't need to do anything. Do they have to prove to you that they're good enough for you to talk to Jesus about them? That waitress. How many, how many times do I have to ask her to fill my cup? How many times? She ain't getting no tip. I ain't giving her nothing. Freely you have received. Freely give. You know what she needs? She needs a good tip and she needs an anchor faith drop card sitting on her bill when she gets it back. Letting her know you can come to Anchor Faith Church on Sunday and get everything that you need. 
I don't care that I had to ask you four times to fill up my chips and salsa. I don't care that uh, I had to keep showing you my glass of water because you just couldn't seem to keep my glass. I don't care that I had to wait 15 minutes before you even got to my table. Freely you've received, freely give. We don't just tell the good waiters and waitresses about Jesus. We tell them all. We don't just tell the homeless people on the side of the road about Jesus. We'll tell the businessman that's got so much money he doesn't even know what to do with, but still needs Jesus. No matter. We'll tell them all. Freely you have received. Freely give. I want to go back to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, and the message. And they'll throw it up on the screen for you. I want you to see this. Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, reported kingdom news, and healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. Look, they do not have to have a natural physical ailment on the outside to qualify for sickness and disease. Some people have sick minds. Some people have diseased hearts. Some people have perverted ways of living. We learned this week that the word disease, and you take it all the way back to the original Greek, it actually uh, has the connotation of homosexuality. Jesus was going around looking for men and women that were living perverted lives and says, I can heal you. We put it in a category. Oh, they got plenty of money. You know, that's a messed up heart. Because the Bible says for the love of, of money is the root of all. When, when you got, and, and I love what, what a minister said, he says, you don't have to have money to love it. <laughs> <laughs> there are people that have an illegitimate love towards money, whether they have it or not. We categorize, oh, that's people with so much money they don't know what to do with and they can't help progress the kingdom, you know, advance the kingdom with their finances. There are people that don't have any money but chase after it so hard and so much that their heart's wrong. Those are the people we're called to help. Those are the people we're called to help show the kingdom of God. Reported kingdom news healed their diseased bodies and their bruised and hurt lives. There are people that have been let down in life. There are people that have been hurt in life. There are people that have been in past relationships that have damaged them. But we can bring kingdom news. Amen? 36. When he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. Look, those people should make your heart break. Compassion. Compassion isn't just sympathy. Sympathy is just, oh, I feel so sorry for you. I know how you feel. Compassion means moved to action. It means I see your hurt and I see your pain and my heart breaks for you, but I've got something I can do about it. Jesus was moved with compassion. His heart broke. So confused, aimless they were like sheep with no shepherd. Do you realize that the world is in darkness? They couldn't find the right way even if they wanted to. 
That's why they run to drinking. That's why they run to drugs. That's why they run to other people. That's why they run to money. That's why they run to things and careers and jobs. Jesus said, don't be like the world, searching and seeking for all these things. Where am I going to get my next drink? Where am I going to get my next wheel? What what clothes am I going to wear? What roof am I going to have over my head? So these are the things that the world goes after. Confused. Aimless. 37. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. And how few workers. I want to know today, is the church raising up workers or sitters? Are we coming to church to sit? Are we coming to church to learn something, to do something? I'm afraid most churches just have people that just want to come in and sit. I'll tell you what, you know, and and I don't mean it harshly. I don't mean it rashly. But if, if you come to this church to sit, you're going to get very uncomfortable. Because you're going to see a lot of people doing something. Not just here in the service. It's going to be very hard to come here and just sit. I'm just going to let you know. That, that will bother you. This is a hard church to sneak in and sneak out. And just get your seat and come in after everyone started worship and leave during altar call. That's going to be a very, I mean, you're going to hear so much where during service it's going to be like, it's going to make, it's going to, you're going to either become a doer or you're going to leave. I'm, it's just what it's going to be. Because we're called to be his church, not a church. The church, not some church. And his church is a doing church. His church is a living and active church. His church is a powerful church. His church is a limitless church. His church is a church that's out there being the church, not in here. How few workers... How do we fix this problem? Verse 38. On your knees and pray for harvest hands. Watch what happens in the next verse. Matthew 10, verse 1. The prayer was no sooner prayed than it was answered. Jesus called 12 of his followers and sent them into the ripe fields. He gave them power to kick out the evil spirits and to tenderly care for the bruised and hurt lives. Get on down to verse Five. Then Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. Why do you tell them not to go to Samaria? Because there's people hurting right in your own backyard. I feel a call to Africa. I feel a call to missions. Val Austin needs you. Don't, try, don't start traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Verse 6, go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. See, I'm not calling you to, to get, get a plane ticket and start traveling around the world every year to go get some great mission. I, I'm, I'm calling us, I'm calling us as Anchor Faith Church in this city to be an answer to this city. 
Our government needs us. Our economy needs us. Our schools need us. Our jobs need us. I'm telling you to go in your own neighborhood. Just by show of hands, how many of you know your neighbors? You know their names. You've met them, maybe even done dinner. But you know them. You could call them by name. Oh, hey, person that lives in apartment 2B. I live in apartment 2A. (laughs) Nice to see you. Hello, my name is apartment 2A. We need to get to know our neighbors. That was something that I always... How many pastors have their neighbors coming to their church? (laughs) I've always kind of wondered that. How many have their next door neighbors? How many have gone to their next door neighbors and made sure that they are going to church anywhere? That they know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Go to the lost, confused people. How many of you guys know some lost and confused people? Some of you might be thinking, they're sitting right next to me. <laughs> lost and confused, man. You know, that's the world. Ten years as Anchor Faith Church were celebrated on Friday. And I'll tell you right now, teaching and developing, that takes time. You know, Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, he came back, he he had planted and started the work in, in Corinth, the church of Corinth. And the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, is Paul coming back, and by history, we know that it was anywhere from four to seven years. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he talks about how they're carnal, how they should have been able to take solid food, but they're still carnal, babes in Christ, and can only take milk. So what does that tell us? That tells us that we can expect newborn believers in Christ anywhere from four to seven years to be developed to maturity. That's not overnight. We haven't even been here four years. If you accepted Jesus on our first service, we still can't even expect you to be fully mature. And maturity is not a result of age. Result, uh, maturity is a result of practice. It's what you do, not just, I've been doing this for this long. Or this is how old I am. I hate it when I get shown up by a kid and I talk about, you know, oh, my head hurts. Oh, I'll pray for you. Oh, Dang it, man. I was just going to take an Advil. Yeah, you can pray. It's like, oh, man. Seven years old, your first response is, I'll pray. Maturity. 
Why? Because they practice it. Childlike faith. They just simply believe if I pray, it'll go away. (laughs) You know? Anywhere from four to seven years. And so this teaching and this preaching that we've done, you know, for, for Anchor Faith Church, they've been there 10 years. And Pastor Earl, he's saying that this year is year zero. You know, because when you've been doing something for a long time, there's something that wells up in you that's like, man, you know, we've been doing, we got this. And he's like, no, there's more. Don't become complacent. Don't become lazy. Don't sit back and realize and say, we've arrived. We ain't done, we ain't arrived yet. There's so much more to do. We're just getting started. That's why we say the best is yet to come. What, what does that mean? If, to, if it was tomorrow, it still means the best is yet to come. What, we may be doing something great today, but the best is yet. That always keeps you striving for more. Because I'm glad that we're not saying the best has come and there's nothing more to look forward to. No, we've been saying since our two-year anniversary, the best is yet to come. Because when you've gotten the best, then what else is there to go for? You know? Like my wife and her engagement rings and wedding rings. (laughs) All females can associate. And it, it wasn't even her, it was me. I bought her one, but I know, you know, you know you're a 21-year-old kid, and what, what kind of money do I have to go out and buy what she wants? I mean, the one that she's got today is great. But it didn't start out that way. The best was yet to come. But once you got the best, it's like, man, that's it. But the best is yet to come. There's more. There's more we can add to this thing. There's more people to come in this building. And we know this is a year of growth for Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta. You need to know that. Quit looking around and seeing. You need to see what I see. I see in the future. Well, same people have been coming for the last three years. Are we getting any more people? Any more, any more visitors? People are going to come visit. People, anybody going to stay? Anybody going to hook up? Anybody going to help us with this? I don't see that. Pastor Mark, you see this place full? No. I see a bigger place full. (laughs) I see a bigger facility full. I mean, this will be the size of our children's ministry. We'll have to put out 75 chairs just for our kids. You got to be bold about it. You got to be bold about it. And every year we get deeper in this thing is a year that we can get more lackadaisical. We can, the more year we can get you know, more relaxed and more complacent, but it should just spur us on to more things. We've celebrated 10 years as a ministry. April 11th, Friday, was the 10 year date to the day. Since we started Anchor Faith Church in San Augustine, Florida. The first seven. First service. They had 70 people in the first service. Only one of them was from St. Augustine, Florida. And that was Pastor Marcy's mom. 
the majority of them were people that flew in for the first service from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the next Sunday were gone. Just telling you. When I got there, it's kind of like some of our services that we see here now. You start service and there's nobody in the seats because everybody that attends your church is serving in some area. The greeters are over here and the ushers are standing in the back and there's children's workers over here. So it's like, you know, you got maybe a couple people that are in the actual audience because we are a church that does stuff. We're a church that's doing something. But it's grown. I was listening to a a message. I want to say it was 2006 from Pastor Owen. He was talking about how they had just broke the 100 mark. They're still in the middle school at that point. And finally had just broken the 100 barrier. And then we broke the 200 barrier. And then we got our own space and got up to around the 300 and had to move to the movie theater where they're at now and trying to get past the next barriers. And they just got prophesied that they were going to double up. Double up. And that auditorium only seats 619 people. So they're going to have to look at something different. It's growth. Church growth. But a church that is growing is a church that is living. If you're not alive, you're not growing. Dead things don't grow. So we've got to choose to be an alive church, a church that is doing something, a church that is active. Look at Acts chapter 1. Lisa, could you come up? Um, and just play one of those last songs that we were doing. Great are you, Lord, or hallelujah. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive what? What? Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, I know where we are. We're in South Georgia. I know how many churches are in this town. I did my homework before I got here. I've met a lot of the pastors, a lot of great men, men that have been here for 30, 40 years, men that's been here for six or seven years, great relationships. But there's one thing that we have to acknowledge today as Anchor Faith Church. This is a Spirit-filled church. This is a Spirit-empowered church. We've done a lot of teaching. We've done a lot of preaching. 
And there will be more teaching. And there will be more preaching. Because we're just getting started. But it's time we step in who we are and identify who is the source of the power that we're talking about. And we are a spirit-filled church. And I don't apologize for that. Paul said, desire spiritual gifts. I pray that starting today, if you are not a spirit-filled believer, that a desire wells up in you to become one. And this is why. It's it's been too long that we've made being filled with the Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, an option. Jesus did not make it an option. You mean I won't go to heaven? I'm not talking about heaven. Forget heaven for a minute. Because Jesus didn't talk about heaven. Paul didn't talk about heaven. Peter didn't talk about heaven. James and John didn't talk about heaven. They talked about getting heaven to the earth. It's time that we quit being the church that wants to do just what gets us in the door. What does it matter that you're in the door, but you can't do anything once you're in there? The disciples did not do one thing until Acts chapter 2. They didn't even preach until Acts chapter 2. Jesus didn't do one thing until Matthew chapter 3 when he was baptized by John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit. He didn't even preach. So why do we think it's an option? I firmly believe this. You will not cast out demons. You will not heal the sick. And you will not raise the dead without receiving the power of the Holy Spirit upon your life. Show me one person in the Bible that did. Show me one person that cast a demon out, healed a sick person, or raised a dead person without the Spirit. What about all those men in the Old Testament? Elisha raised a dead boy. Elijah raised a dead boy. But not without the Spirit of God coming upon them. Go back and look. The Spirit of God came upon the priests, the prophets, and the kings. But now, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is freely given to all who will believe. All who will accept the free gift. 
being filled with the evidence of speaking in tongues. You telling me I can't come? Absolutely not. I believe that there will be a desire that will well up within you that will say, I gotta have that. If I'm gonna do the kingdom work I'm called to do, if I'm gonna go out into my neighborhood and not just talk about something, but demonstrate something, could you imagine yourself praying for somebody that is in that's hurting or in pain in the middle of Walmart? And there's plenty of them there. And they get healed. Quit trying to drag people to church to get something. You are the church. You've been drugged there. You thought you were just picking up milk. But you've been sent. Pray the Lord of the harvest for laborers. Doers, laborers, people that will work, people that will do something, act on something. You know what I think is another interesting thing? You know, because one of the first things that we think of, I know we're all thinking it. I thought it too. I still think it, just to be honest with you. I still think it. Man, I, I, I can never do that. I can never approach someone just in the middle of the aisle and say, hey, do you, do you know Jesus? I, I can never approach someone and just be led to ask them, are you hurting? Or is, is there stuff going on in your marriage that I can pray with you about? How would I know that? The Holy Spirit? It's called a word of knowledge. Oh, I thought that stuff was for church. No? You can get a word of knowledge in Publix. Get a word of knowledge at the gas pump. Say, that person next to you, you need to fill their tank. Okay. But the the thing that comes up is we don't think we could ever do those things. Why? Because we're not bold enough. Because we're not bold enough. I I don't have this verse in there, but you got to see it. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 13, says this. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Now let me remind you. Let me remind you. Peter denied Jesus three times. Let me remind you that John and all the rest of the disciples ran when they came to arrest Jesus. Not very bold. But boldness came as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. See, I know you're not bold enough. I wasn't either. Ask anybody in my past 10 to 15 years ago. They'll tell you, no, he was a shy guy. He was the one always hiding in the back, you know, until he got to know people. He he wasn't one just to come right out and say something. 
Y'all might not say that because you see somebody that has the Holy Spirit empowering him. I'm not doing this because it's my demeanor. I'm doing this because the Holy Spirit has anointed me to do this. It's not my characteristic to just get up in front of people and confront them about something. It's not my characteristic to stop in my tracks and just go talk to some random I don't like talking to random people. I don't. But the Holy Spirit has empowered me. And I yield to what He wants to do. So, we had two people that this past week in St. Augustine be filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. From this church. Two people from this church that are now empowered to demonstrate the kingdom of God. Without the Holy Spirit, all you are is a talker. And we got to talk about it. You got to tell people. But until you receive the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and it's not about speaking in tongues. Why do they always throw that tag on there? Because that's the evidence, that's the proof that you've received the Holy Spirit. This isn't about speaking in tongues, that's a bonus. That's an added benefit of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But what's going to happen because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? Now I'm going to be empowered to do kingdom work. Now I'm going to be able to demonstrate the kingdom of God. What's going to happen because I'm filled with the Spirit? I'm going to have a boldness to teach and preach and demonstrate the kingdom of God. The two people that were filled, I already see a difference. In three or four days, I already see a difference. Because that's what happens when you allow what's on the inside of you to show up on the outside of you. I don't know about you. I'm tired of being influenced. I want to start influencing. If you're thinking, well, that's not for me, you know. I just, I just want to, you know, I just want to hear a good message, man. I just want to come to church and hear a good message. I don't believe that that will be the way for for too long. Because we're we're taking a turn this week. Next week is our special Easter service, and we get to demonstrate the love of God to people, and we get to be influencers next week. But that's just the beginning. Now you might ask, well, how come we haven't done so much outreach? How come we haven't done so much in the city? A seed does more getting in than it does giving out. A seed doesn't bear fruit. A tree bears fruit. But for the seed to become the tree, you've got to get in stuff. So what are we even doing? Getting watered, getting nutrients, meditating on the word, teaching, preaching, teaching, preaching, teaching, preaching. We're not doing so much to give away because we've been trying. But now there's a blade that's coming out. 
Now it's starting to become visible. 2,500 mailers went out last weekend. A thousand door, hag- door tags are getting hung on people's doors in different neighborhoods, letting them know what? There's a church here that has the answer to everything you're looking for. Not just about some Easter service. They may not come to the Easter service. I know our ushers are hoping. I hope 3,500 people don't show up in here. <laughs> next Sunday. We're going to have church right out here is what's going to happen. I mean, I don't know if anybody ever thought that. Is 3,500 people really going to come to church? Sure, why not? It happened on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people were added with signs and wonders, with people talking in weird languages. Oh, people don't want to hear that. That drives people away. Really? Three people got born again on the first day of the church because of the Holy Spirit. And that's the one thing we're trying to get rid of in the church today. Sad. What a sad digression we've made as a church. But we're not going to do that. Sure, we've been doing a lot of teaching, a lot of preaching, a lot of foundation stuff, and that's necessary because you've got to know what you're doing when you're getting out there. But we're making a turn. can't just be a hearer anymore. Start being a doer. That doesn't mean you got to start laying hands on everything that moves wherever you go. A doer might be helping someone with their gas, planting a seed. And here's a card to let you know about my church. You need anything, you come see us. Doesn't mean you got to have an usher ready to catch someone as you lay hands on them and fall out in the middle of public. Hey, can you get behind there real quick? I'm trying to simplify. I'm not trying to scare anybody off. This is what we're called to do. You look at some of the simple stuff that Jesus did for people. Getting a word of knowledge for someone. Then married five times. The person that she was with with, uh, wasn't even her husband. A word of knowledge for somebody. He didn't heal her. He didn't lay hands on her. didn't have a big old healing line to crusade. He was thirsty. We've got to see this. We've got to know we're here for something greater. It's not just what we're saying. It's not just what we talk about. It's what we do. And I pray and I believe that you will develop a hunger and a thirst for the things of God, not just to hear something. Not just to come get a great message, but to get a great message that will empower you to do something, demonstrate something, something that's real. The world is looking for something that is real. Well, I don't understand the Holy Spirit. I don't understand tongues. Then get information about it. Ask somebody about it. Talk to somebody about it. Get a book. Get in the Bible. Read what the Word says. Because it is real. It is real. It's not fake. It's not something that we make up. We don't go to a, a tongue talking class so we can all learn how to talk in tongues so it sounds real. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through us. I thank God that I speak and pray in tongues. Because 
Because I, I, I got to have it, man. I got to be able to pray in the spirit. If, if I'm only praying based upon my natural knowledge, things are not getting done the way they need to get done. But I've been given the greatest resource on the face of the planet. He empowers me to go out. What? Heal the sick. All the disease. That doesn't just mean sick people. That means sick hearts and minds. And do something great for the kingdom of God. Father, I thank you that you are establishing today in this city, in this county, and the surrounding counties, a, a church that believes you at your word, a church that believes in the power of the Holy Spirit and desires to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that we become teachable, that we don't just go based on tradition and religion and what our parents told us and our previous pastor told us, but that we have a desire and a hunger like the Bereans to go and search out the scriptures. And we don't limit you in the power that you have, the power that you contain. But we want your power working in and through our lives. It's only because we give ourselves to you that we do what we're called to do. And we give ourselves wholly to you, all of ourselves to you, so we can experience life change in this city. I thank you for what you're doing in this church. I thank you for the words that have been given us. And I thank you, Father, you give us illumination and direction on our future, where to be, what to do, how to do it. Spiritually and naturally, Father. I thank you that you're guiding and directing us and you're causing great things to happen through this church, through this body. And you get all the glory. You get all the praise. This isn't about a church or a name or an organization. This is about what you're doing through people who yield themselves to you. We thank you for that today. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.